John Panos, John McGrath, and Troy Malcolm. He gets a mention. I've decided, John, I'm giving him 30%. 30% of the time, Troy Malcolm gets a mention. Well, we should keep him. He just made me a cup of tea. It's actually a delicious cup of tea. So I knew if we had him around long enough, we'd find a great use for Troy Malcolm. And I've got to say, Troy Malcolm, he was, he's a very courteous... You've trained him well, John, because... Um, he asked me two times, are you sure you don't want one, right? Um, the reality is I, I didn't want one by about the third time. I thought if he asked the third time, we're actually going to get one. The third time never came. But it's always good to see Troy. Troy, Thank you for the biscuits. You're hosting us today. And the chocolate biscuits are almost gone because it's sort of late in the afternoon. Yeah, so how many, how many were there, John? Three? Three just started? No, no, I think there was five. And there it was, was down to one, which was about to disappear. So um, potentially this is my um, dinner lunch which is terrible really I need four, to stop four, you, you, do you have lunch today John it was no, I, didn't. I, I, I went through which is crazy so anyway I need to fix that up John today is the day that I would say most of Australia uh, unequivocally are back and working even those that decided that they were going to start work after the Australia Day weekend uh, they're back um, seems people are taking longer holidays at Christmas maybe or maybe just they're going away later and coming back later. But it's interesting. We still, I was talking to one of our agents the other day. She had 60 people through last weekend. So this was the weekend before the long weekend I'm talking about, which is still, I guess, in some people's eyes, relatively early. And she opened a property on the eastern beaches of Sydney and she had 60 groups through it. Yeah. So I often say to our team, which is no good for our listeners this year, but for next year, you might want to diarise it, a lot of the best auctions and the best listings occur in the first 30 days of the new calendar year. Now, I'm all for you need to have a holiday, you need to refresh, that's all good stuff, but I also think you've got to be selective when you take it because if you take the wrong fortnight, that could cost you in this game where the stakes are high, that could cost you $50,000 because it could cost you one or two or three listings because you're yeah. not there and then the on-flow business of that so I think, you know, planning your holidays is important, but also planning when you're back is also critical. It's like people in this industry that take September off. It's kind of, wow. Not only has it screwed the potentially the business, busiest month of the year, it's probably ruined your last quarter. And if you ruin your last quarter, you probably ruin the first quarter of next year. So you need to be smarter in this game. You know, you've got to plan everything you do because a few bad decisions can cost you a fortune. Yeah. John, to me it appears that... Uh Melbourne, Sydney, which has got a stronger auction ratio of listings versus the other states, has this belief set by agents that I'm not going to be doing any auctions till after the Australia Day weekend. Like yeah. I'm running my seven-day kickstart yesterday had a heap of people come in and I was just curious. So I rang up a couple of the people. I said, you know, welcome to the program. And I said, I'm just curious, how come you've come on this week? And they said, oh, well, everyone's back. You know, auction season starts, um, buyers are back. Um, but I think a lot of agents were back on the 5th of January. I think a lot of buyers that were looking to buy a house didn't decide that they're not going to look between the 5th mm. and the 30th of January. Yeah. Uh, they were there. And I think that when people don't intelligently plan those three or four weeks, you can turn around and say, that takes a whole... Uh, months of campaigns out of my income stream. Yeah. Um, and, and if you do miss that first six weeks, Tom, if, if you are lagging behind, 
It's almost like, you know, in a day, if you start and you're late to your first appointment or meeting, guaranteed the rest of the day you're going to be late to almost every other meeting because it's kind of mental catch-up yeah. and, and everything just goes a bit longer and you feel guilty because you arrived late so you can't kind of say, look, I have to get going. So it, it really screws your whole day up. I, I find that at an annual basis, if you get January wrong and early February, you almost spend the entire year apologising and trying to catch up. So... I think it is, you know, I mean, that's not the, the purpose of today's podcast, but I think it is important. The decisions you make in everything in this industry and in life, of course, have pretty significant impact, so make them wisely. So I think you've got Sport, to... Sport's a bit like that too, John, isn't it? When you see a side, a lot of the times, in the first 10 minutes, just unexpectedly uh, cop a one or two tries, yeah. and it just happens really quick. They start bad. They appear to get into defence mode, a little bit more scared, a little bit more mm. nervous... And a lot of the times, um, the way that the game unfolds is highly dictated in that first 10, 15 minutes. Oh, look, I think you're exactly right. You, and you can go two ways. I mean, there is a saying, and, and people use it in business all the time, she's, paying, she's playing catch-up football, yeah. you know, which is, comes from obviously the, the footballing metaphor of someone who's behind and they're playing desperate to try and catch up a gap and they often start making mistakes. But I think you're right also that when you get ahead, whether it's in life, business or football or any sport, you can start defending your lead. So if you're an agent out there and you're doing terrifically, there is no doubt at some point in time there's going to be a thought that creeps into your head that says, I wonder if I can keep this up and everyone's chasing me and I'm a sitting duck. And So I think it's that mental game so in which we talk a lot on, on this podcast about. Okay, John, we're going to move into uh, our first uh, question as this uh, podcast we're doing is going to be a Q&A session. Um, 2015, the year of Q&A, remember? The year of Q&A. Again, this was another one of John McGrath's incredible ideas that he was able to come up with, like this podcast is. We've said that well, before. I just we got it. John came no, up I with a podcast. I come up with no good ideas, but I steal a lot of good ones. And, and uh, as I think some of the listeners had heard a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about Ask James Altucher. Correct. Is, and James is a guy that you and I listen to a lot. And, and he went from... He still does the Altucher, uh, James Altucher show, but he's now doing Ask James, and he's getting through all these great little Q&As, and I find them really intriguing. So hopefully people will find these equally intriguing. And people... These are real questions, right? These people Absolutely. are writing in, emailing, texting Tom and stuff. Well, let's, let's go. Cameron um, uh, Bowles um, has written a question, and his question actually... Two or three have more or less asked the same question in a different way, so we'll just use his words. What is the most effective way to collect data in my farm area? I want to get names and numbers from every house in my area so I can grow my database, but not sure how to go about it. And then, John, there's been a few other people there that have said uh, pretty much the same sort of thing is how do you build, like Robert Chandra, how do you build your database fast when you're just starting out? So it's this question about getting names of people to put into your database and then having a stay-in-touch strategy so one day when they're ready to list, you're on the shopping list. Well, I mean, if I think the first question you've got to ask is what is the data you want? Because there are companies like CoreLogic and others that, you know, they provide you the data that you need. But the question is, you know, you might as well use the white pages, the old-fashioned white pages, if you're going to go for everyone. I'm much more interested in refining down what is your subset target of people that you want to keep in touch with. And we speak a lot here, Tom, and I think even one of the questions we're going to answer later, maybe this week or next, is going to be around prospecting. I remember, Eric, a few years ago, um, Sarah, it used to be Sarah Bushell, Sarah, Sarah Hackett, yeah. 
Yeah. Damien's, uh, Damien's wife, and an amazing real estate performer, of course, as they both are. I mean, she talked about, I think it was 400 people in her target area of Balimba, and she's one of the Australia's best agents. And I think that was fantastic. And Pete Chauncey, who works for us over at our Crow's Nest office, Pete's got 1,100 people in here. So those guys have got to the top by being very laser focused on who they want to speak to, and whether it's geographic, or whether it's demographic or past clients or connectors and influencers, I think you've got to ask the question is, which is the group of people that you want to speak to? Otherwise you're going to annoy neighbourhoods and annoy people with spam and letterbox junk and all sorts of stuff. I think you've got to say that. So, you know, it's interesting because I don't know, who, uh, it was Cameron, wasn't it, that yeah. wrote this? You know, my first question to Cameron would be, are you holding open for inspections? Are you collecting data? Because that's probably your best data. They're people that have got off their backside on a Saturday morning. They've come to meet you, which means they're either buying or selling in 98% of the time. So you know, definitely got to do that. Two is, are you in constant contact adding value to your past clients in your area? So everyone you bought and sold for last year and the year before, the year before, um, are they hearing from you? Not to prospect them, just to stay in touch. Who are your connectors and influencers in your market? You know, you need at least four or five people that are connected to the communities that you want to speak to that you can leverage a relationship and build a strong connection and then help them help their people. So, you know, I think, you know, the answer is you go to CoreLogic or RP Data if you're just looking for good quality data, and that's a really good starting point. But I'd like to kind of refine down the funnel and say, who are the people within that? Is it streets? Is it the best houses, maybe you want to talk to the people that own the best 50 houses in your farm area and you need to put a, a detailed um, custom letter to them saying that you know, you've know you targeted their homes, one of the best in the district and if they ever consider selling you'd love the opportunity to meet with them because that's one of your specialties. Yeah. So I think rather than just the, the, what do they call it, the shotgun approach, you know, yeah. it's just like going for everyone, I think you've got to be laser focused and uh, I'd encourage Cameron to work out who yeah. are the most influential subset. Because otherwise, really, you're like every other agent. You're shoving stuff in letterboxes, just you know, clagging up the system. You're ringing people at night that are trying to bathe their young ones and have dinner that don't really want to speak to you, 99% of them, if not more. So I think you've got to be a bit judicious and just yeah. pick the right people. John, I think um, you want to get a, a fit database, not a fat database. Yeah. Um, and the reason I say that is... So Troy Malcolm database, not a John McGrath database. Is that what we're saying? Troy... I noticed you put on time a kilo or two, did you or not? Johnny's right. I'm you look like you, you might have had a bit of moussaka <laughs> over Christmas well, there. I've spent, John, I've spent five <laughs> days uh, in Melbourne watching um, um, tennis. Now, oh, one, right. of, look, one, of, one of the issues... Of that course, the young Greek boy is doing tremendously well. I don't know what happened to him today. Abs- absolutely. Tonight. tonight, okay. Tonight. Um, so it's a big night. There's actually, having said that, there's been a couple of Greek boys. There's Thanasi... Um, uh, I can't pronounce his last Kokinakis. Actually, I, I did pronounce it the other day, and I pronounced both names, Kokinakis and Kyriakos, right? Yes. Have I said them right? Yes. Well, let me tell you, I didn't get them right the first time, and, I, and a guy corrected me, and then my wife said, I'm letting you know he's Greek, by the way, <laughs> right? But uh, the, one of the issues is when you get out of your normal patterns and you don't have the food that you'd normally have and you're susceptible to eating takeaway food, it's funny, John, calories um, add up. I mean, And so are you. And you and I have got a, a common friend that we were just talking about before who's just had a, an illness or who's just been diagnosed with an illness similar to yours from a few years ago. And the thing that you and I spoke about him and we put him in touch with another Greek friend of ours who's a naturopath who's going to be looking after him, but it's the food you eat. 
and here am I having five chocolate biscuits, which is ridiculous. But so you've got to look after it. So back to the fit database. I think you're right. So less, less. You don't need you don't need big big numbers. Sarah John. Hackett, four hundred people, and she's writing mega dollars. See, I've always had this concept, John. Knocking on doors, interrupting strangers that don't want to talk to you, is not the most effective thing. You might feel like you're doing well. You might feel like you're checking something on your to-do list and you feel like a winner. But you're only winning when you're adding value to people. Mm. You're only uh, adding value to people. So I'll share a concept and, here. And sorry, Tom, just to interject before you share that concept, don't assume that, well, if they say no, it, it's it's just a no. Because brand damage, if, you know, junk mail and spam, for example, people don't want to get it. So I'm, I'm not saying blanket don't prospect and don't ring anyone. If that's working for you and you think it's a great strategy, just doesn't happen to be my strategy, and I think if you want to get to the top in your market, you have to be more selective. But sorry, you were just yeah. about to say. So there's um, there's agents around. I've noticed in this new connection economy, you can create content that addresses a pain issue that vendors in a particular area might be interested in. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Um, in some areas where they've got new proposed freeways going in, and the local residents are concerned about the freeway, I know agents that have gone off and created a little booklet or newsletter saying, if you'd like to know what this freeway will do in your suburb and what proposed impact it can have, contact us for a report. Now, a lot of, I can tell you, the agent I'm referring to has said to me, he has had hundreds of people send um, names, emails, because he's addressing something that there's a need for in the marketplace. So well, he's think, giving them valuable information as yeah. opposed to saying, do you want to list your home? Correct. So oh, I think that's a really smart idea. And Okay, that's freeway, but there must be other lots of other things in the listeners' areas, our, our audience, that could be valuable for them to add. To, you know, what, what are the significant sales in the last quarter? I just wanted to send this to you and just check let you know what's happening in trends. So and the, no, I think that's good. John, the other issue that you raised before about having a smaller database, Marcus Ciminello, I actually got a note from him today. Um, he finished the year at 3.5 mil. Marcus Ciminello has a lot of people on his database, but he says that the ones that he really focuses on is about 12 people because these 12 people here yeah, I love that. impact what the others do. They might not even list their houses, but these 12 people here are people that call them spheres of influence, call them influencers. I like to use the term, they're connectors. They connect you to other people. You work these people in a different way than sending them an email that you send out to 17,000 with MailChimp. You've got to treat these people differently. And I think to Cameron listening out there, you've had lots of information there to get you understand this. This is not just a big uh, numbers game. Less is more. Correct. More meaningful, value-add information to a smaller subset. And we just heard about a guy that did three and a half million that really speaks to 12 major people. Very good. Hopefully that helps, Cameron. Okay, John, let's move on to our next question here. Now, this one came in um, quite a few weeks ago, and we haven't addressed it as yet, so uh, I brought it on. He he wants to remain anonymous, Mm -hmm. and I'm just bringing it up here. Here it goes. Okay, I work in property management as a BDM and have done so in 
some so BDM business development, business development in new property business management. guy. Yep. Yeah, so he's after the sales side in property management, helps grow the rent roll. Yep. Um, I'm in my late 20s and I want more out of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about how he helps clients buying and selling, but then he passes them on to um, the sales department. Um, and then he uh, raises this interesting part of the, the question. Do I start working under an agent if I want to go into sales or do I work by myself with a mortgage, wife and potentially kids on the way very soon? Have I missed the boat? Any insight from John and yourself would be greatly appreciated. So there's a few components to this, John. It's about a guy that's uh, hungry, he's in property management, he wants to go the next step. The other side of it, he's thinking, do I lose the job security of a decent salary that I've got here, go into the unknown, I'm getting a baby well, coming for, up first soon. first thing we can say to, to this uh, listener is you certainly haven't missed the boat. At 29, yeah. whether you're about to have kids, marriage or anything, I mean, you're at the beginning of your life and your career, so the best years are well and truly ahead. So I don't want anyone. I, I remember a few years ago, uh, well, probably a long time ago now, probably... 15 or 20 years ago, but Wayne Harker, who you remember, used yeah. to work with me and subsequently moved on and, and sort of, he's been to a couple of other places, but a good guy and a good friend of mine. And Wayne started in his mid-50s, I think it was. And I think Gillian McGrath also, who works for us up at Northern Beaches, and I'm sure she won't mind me saying, but I'm, she started, you know, when she was, you know, on the, uh, on the upside of 50. And both amazing successes. Yeah. So, you know, whether you're 29, 39, 49 or 59, you're never too late to start in real estate. I think what he's probably saying though, woven into that is, well, you know, if I was footloose and, and, and free and I didn't have any commitments, but now that I've got some commitments, look, you've got to back yourself. If sales is your thing, and, you, and not, it's not for everyone, perhaps this guy is a better property manager than a salesperson if he's, if he's asking the question in a sense that's concerning to me, because most people that go into sales, they're quite confident about backing themselves. Um, so I think he's got to really make that hard call about is, is this his career. If you're going into sales, I think, you know, joining a team, a sales team, especially, you know, somewhere. Imagine if you work for Marcus Ciminello for two years yeah. and call it an apprenticeship if you like, but being his assistant, you would learn the best from the best and all of a sudden you're going to be really well equipped to go out on your own. So I think that that's a really interesting route to get into sales, and nowadays so many good agents, in fact nearly every good agent you and I talk with, Tom, have got an assistant or three. Yeah. So it's, it's a well-established path into sales. So I think it's a really good consideration. You know, the, the starting money is probably not enormous for someone getting into sales that way, but if you learn all the right habits and dialogue and approaches and attitude, I mean, in two years' time, you can go from earning 50000 to 500000 if you get it right. Yeah. So I, I think that um, that's important. The buffer bit is interesting. You know, even if you're a good sales agent from the get-go, you've got to have three to six months' worth of earnings or worth of overheads in the bank because it can take that, you know, it took me nearly six months to get my first deal across the line. Um, I think, you know, for, for a lot of agents, even well-intentioned ones, your first sale could be six to eight weeks down the track. Mm. And then it's going to take another six to eight weeks to settle. So, you know, in, in the day where it's becoming more and more common for commission-only style businesses, where people are looking for agents that are prepared to work on a commission-only and back themselves, you've got to have a few months uh, worth of... So that's, that's a, a sensible, logical buffer account 
Because what you don't want to be doing after eight weeks is saying, oh my God, I'm in sales now, I've had no income for eight weeks, so I've had very little income for eight weeks, and I haven't made a sale. And You don't want that pressure on you. Mm. You actually want to be able to make all those decisions without great pressure. So I think that that's sensible. But, you know, back yourself. If you think you can make it in sales, I don't think you ought to be that flash to make it in sales. You've got to be diligent. You've got to cross your T's. You've got to have a daily practice. You've got to give people great service. You've got to have good product knowledge, all of which can be learnt, all of which can be studied. It's John, not a- have you, in uh, your time building this great brand of yours, have you seen property managers transition into sales? Now, this guy's not a property manager. He's a BDM, yeah. but he's working Well, in let's call it either new business leasing or thing. Reality, Troy, is I don't think there's that many have crossed, the, uh, crossed over. And some have tried, and I've been surprised they haven't made it because in property management, um, they've looked semi-spectacular. They've looked highly competent. And yet sometimes, I think there's no doubt, Tom, as you, well, you would know this, there's there's pressure in sales. And it's not just, you know, can you be positive and can you learn the product knowledge? It's can you deal with the pressure of having three auctions tomorrow? Can you deal with the pressure of negotiations falling down? and vendors' emotions running wild because, you know, vendors are often under pressure and they're saying, Tom, how come you haven't sold my house and I need them, my bank's knocking on the door. And You do need to be able to deal with that as well. So there is definitely an emotional um, content that you have to also be up on. Yeah. So, But, you know, I can remember three or four that I thought, gee, you know, going from property management into sales, you'll definitely make it. I've got to say a couple of them didn't, which doesn't mean they can't, doesn't mean this gentleman can't, but... I guess it's not, it's not guaranteed, is it? No. Uh, John, all the good stuff happens outside of your comfort zone. Um, and what we know is that all the good people that we see that smash it, they seem to have this ability to be prepared to be temporary, awkward or incompetent when they move on to something um, um, new. You know, that's, that's a common denominator with all the people. They sort of um, get out of um, what they know and they do something new. I think, John, you've given our listener tremendous advice there because uh, unlike some other you know, advice he may get, some, some people, everyone's got an opinion, no one's got a monopoly on the truth. Some person might turn around and just say, just do it, as you said, and he goes off three months down the track, he thinks, hang on a second, I was on an 80, 90 grand package, yeah. life was good, and now here I am, I've got no listings, I've got one in the pipeline, I don't know when it's going to list and life is hard. And we have seen that happen in real estate many times. With yeah, it's, not for, it's not for everyone. Um, but uh, yeah, if you're there and you're committed and you're serious about it, you can make it a great career. But whatever he does, good luck to him. Okay. Um, we've been given the time up. We're done. We're going to be back next week with more questions on Million Dollar Agent. John, have a great week. Have a good week. I'll see you then. See you, John. See you.